Beyond. 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 Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Beyond, episode 588. I think I have that number correct. IGN's weekly PlayStation show, which is very close to episode 600. We'll figure out something to do with that. Getting point. scared already. I know. Mm. It's, a, it's a very high number. Uh, this week, I am joined by Brian Altano. Hello. Welcome back after a week away from Star Wars Land. That's right. Not the actual Star Wars Land, but the, the <laughs> Chicago Star Wars Land that was temporary. God, I wish. Did. And we're also joined this week for at least a little bit. By Seth Macy. Hello. Seth, uh, for the listeners at home who may not know you, what do you do here at IGN? I'm the tech and commerce editor. I do tech and I do commerce. If you find a deal on IGN, there's a good chance I helped find it. More interestingly, you live in Maine. I live in Maine. The state. The state But you Maine. work for IGN full-time, which I, I tell that story to people a lot because I think it's very inspiring and powerful that a lot of people are like, I want to work for IGN, but I don't want to move to San Francisco because it's literally covered in poop. <laughs> <laughs> is it possible for me to work a full-time job remotely from my strange state? Yes. And then yes, the answer is yes. Not 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 frequently. No. But it has been it has happened it in has the past. Been done. It it takes has a lot been done. longer yeah. to go to get a job at IGN if you work remotely than if you just be like, yeah, I'll just go to San That's Francisco. That's true. Depending on how far you live from San Francisco, it's right. like correlated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. You were exactly. freelancing for us for a few years. Yeah, for about 5 years. Yes. And now we have you full-time on the team. Yeah, and I'm you guys here, and I'm actually, excited. I know, we're so happy to have you. You guys actually did a video together, though, too, recently, correct? In we, Maine, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We've done a couple of videos together, actually. I, I got lucky enough to work with Seth at PAX in Boston, so thank you to everybody. Oh, it was a wicked good time, kid. It was, as they say. Killer. <laughs> and then uh, in Maine, we shot, a, we shot a travel show together called Fast Travel. Yeah, so which you should out. check out. Yeah, everyone. it was really fun. It's an awesome series, and I thought that was a great episode. It was Stephen King-focused. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a really good time. But of course, we're not here to just talk about Maine. No. Though we could probably for quite a while. I'd imagine I, have some Maine. Fun you know, facts. I've been reading a book about the history of Maine. Really? So, is yeah. it is it an interesting history? It's extraordinarily it? interesting, actually. Yeah. Well, the fun fact about this show is we're actually going to talk about another history. Really? The history of Kratos. Wow. As we jump into this week's news crunch. Wow. Hopefully, the audio is playing somewhere. Yes, I heard it somewhere. It was playing somewhere. Uh, The first thing I want to touch on in this week's News Crunch, Seth, if you don't know News Crunch, each week we will break down all the biggest news going on. All the crunchiest news. All the crunchiest news named in honor of our uh, late, dearly departed, not dead, just from IGN, Mm -hmm. news editor Andrew Goldfarb. The first thing we're talking about this week is Raising Kratos, a documentary that was announced over the weekend for God of War's one-year anniversary. I can't believe it's only been a year since that game came out, but f- they're going to be putting out a like feature-length documentary about the creation of God of War, the whole history of it. Uh, they put out a small teaser trailer. The promo image is of Corey Barlog, the director of the game, holding a Kratos action figure in like a baby <laughs> Bjorn. Bjorn. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, they're going to go behind the scenes. They're going to do a really in-depth look at like how this revitalization of Kratos came to be. Uh, and the uh, what's funny is the end of the teaser trailer for it showed a scene that no one had ever seen before of Kratos from the game. Uh, it was him basically walking out of a cave, like out of the mouth of a cave and saying like, we have a long journey ahead of us. And everyone's like, oh, it's a sequel. And then Corey immediately had to be like, uh, that was actually, uh, yeah. we were going to use that as teaser footage on the God of War 3 remastered that came oh. out for PS4. But they didn't have time to put it on the disc. And so they just put it in this trailer now. But everyone, of course, assumed... Wow. Sequel teaser, but yeah. uh, it seems like like knowing that's just in the trailer alone, it feels like we're going to get an in-depth, pretty like exhaustive look at this creation, which I'm excited to see. I don't know how you guys feel. Seth, did you play much God of War, any God of War? I did. I played it, okay. 
and I was like, oh, this is pretty good. And then, uh, you know, I unlocked skill trees, and I was like, okay, this is exactly my kind of game. And I don't remember what happened, but I got distracted, <laughs> which is usually what happens. Yeah. But yeah, it's one of those things that sits in my hall, like my my pile of shame that I know I need to revisit mm-hmm. because like it's always going to be a good game to play through at any time. And also, I feel like I will lose all credibility if I don't play that game. You're in, it's dropping. Yeah. 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 Dropping rapidly as you sit here. Hey, I'm on the PlayStation podcast. Not for long. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Literally, but not for that reason. Yeah, no, this, I mean, Jonathan, you and I have talked about this a bunch, but this is obviously, I think it's one of my favorite, one of the most important games of the generation. Yeah. One of the, one of the best stories ever told in the video game, I would say as well. Um, and just an incredibly overwhelmingly just awesome very highly polished just one-of-a-kind video game that i think services a lot of the really like sort of action-oriented gamey people who wanted something and then people who wanted something a little more narrative driven and and substantial um yeah it's such a special game i was you know cory has been on the show a couple times friend of the show um he tweeted out the other day this sort of like like kind of brief history of sort of uh launching the game and leading up to the launch of the game and and being on a norwegian boat that was freezing and you know uh tweeting out props that were used in the game that had spoilers on them that nobody caught like cool things like that so go go look that up obviously um but this is such a special game i can't believe it's been a year it feels like um every three days the, the that team is receiving another award for that game and it got me thinking about how i'd be okay with that game getting an award every couple of weeks forever just in perpetuity <laughs> just every yeah. yeah every just like 10 tw- just like a lifetime achievement award every couple of years forever. even after the inevitable sequel they're still giving awards to the first game exactly like, hey that still was really good you guys exactly 2024 yeah. is 2018 game of the year is yeah yep. exactly and it's like i mean we just saw recently the sort of neil Druckmann tweeting out the last page of the script of the last of us 2 um that's a powerful thing, but it's also The Last of Us 2, and it, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited for that game. It also it sort of sits weird with me and how they, they took one of the, I would say, best video game endings of all time and are making a sequel. I have full confidence in what they're doing. I'm excited for it. With God of War, I'm sort of in a similar boat where I don't really know if I want another one so immediately. I mean, I think I can wait a couple years. I can yeah. wait four, five, six years and, and maybe pick up the needle where these characters are, you know? I don't yeah. really need to see... I, I won't spoil it because you haven't finished it. Dude, I mean, but that game has that's such on a, me. Yeah, well, no, <laughs> for the audience as well. That game has such a powerful ending, um, and I think it's just a, such a beautiful journey between a father and a son that, like, I, I'm i okay with closing that door for a while, letting this just sort of, like, breathe for a couple years. Yeah. And then picking it up and going, you know, where can we go next? Yeah, I, I think it's very much something like we're not going to get another God of War on the PS4. Definitely. Pretty openly, yeah, depending yeah. on where the next gen goes, and we'll definitely be talking about next gen in a little Ooh. bit. But, yeah, it's one of those games where I think they are going to be given the time that they need to make the sequel the sequel they want it to yeah. be. Like, in the same way that Naughty Dog didn't make The Last of Us Part Two until they thought they had the right story for it, hopefully that proves out to be true, I don't think they're going to be like, Corey, can you rush out God of War 2 <laughs> for, like, the launch? If it comes two years into the launch of the right. PS5, I think they'll be like, yeah when it's ready it should mm-hmm. come out. Um, but I'm glad we're getting this like historical look back at it. It's like Sony is leaning into this game I think on a level it hasn't for almost any other game yeah. uh, within its first year span. Like obviously there is the beloved like fandom around an Uncharted or The Last of Us of course but like the fervor for God of War in this first year is like kind of unprecedented. It's really cool to see. Um, and it's also uh, you know 
this is not a brand new IP. And so there's a very, very small group of people who are like, that's not my God of War. But for the most part, I think people who grew up with that franchise um, ultimately came to respect and love what Corey and, and team did with this game. I, w- I would say like if, if they were to revisit this series in some way, um, one of the things I was thinking about is sort of how, you know, Atreus and the story goes through this uh, entire sort of arc of up and downs that, you know, most kids his age do. Um, But you leave, like, sort of narratively, you leave that you leave that character in a world that's still obviously punishing and scary and weird. But also you leave him at an age where he's he. He hasn't figured out anything yet. He's really. still growing. Yeah, yeah. You're, st- you're still a kid. Like Seth, you you have kids. Yeah, right. And they're yeah. they're teenagers, right? Yeah. Not to not One to date them. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, like there there's this thing that happens when you graduate high school. Where you're like, I'm a genius and I know everything and I'm the king <laughs> of the world. And you get to college and it kicks your ass and you're humble again. But then you come home from college and you start talking to your parents and you know you think you have everything figured out. There's there's this ebb and flow of of constantly thinking you have stuff figured out and constantly getting knocked on your ass. That happens pretty much until you are dead. <laughs> so, I think that there's like there's something to explore there. I don't really want to see them pick up the story immediately. I would like to yeah like have a couple of year time jump or something like that. I don't think they need to do necessarily a like from that minute going forward sort right. of thing. Right. I. I which would be weird though, because that's what that game really is all about. Right? Yeah, it's like a nonstop shot. So yeah. to take a, to take a, a to like, take a break, yeah. would be uh, jarring, but I think needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also like that leaves them room to fill in the gaps how they want to, maybe in that game or in future games. Like right, right. Corey's been on the show and said like he knows everything that happened before the game too. Like we could easily do a prequel game at any point. Um, so I could see them doing like leaving a specific period of time open that could mm-hmm. be explored in some other way. Um, but yeah, obviously we have not heard the last of God of War in any fashion, and I'm excited to see what this full documentary ends up looking like. Moving on, a story that just happened a few minutes before we started recording the show. Uh, Brian, I thought you'd like to know this. There's a new Bloodborne board game coming out. Ooh. Uh, it's being made by the people who are making the God of War card game that was announced last week, uh, which we discovered mid-episode that they were announcing that. Uh, they <laughs> kickstarted a new Bloodborne, the board game, that's a lot of beats to say, and it reached its Kickstarter goal of $200,000 in less than 20 minutes. Wow. In the first 17 minutes when it was live today, the game got funded. It is currently, as I'm opening the browser, at 650000 Oh, my God. I imagine that will continue to go up by the time... Are there any like sort of specs of what like the game pieces look like? That's like the most interesting right. thing. So yeah, they do I want have little min- miniatures. Here I can let you. So I can give them the max to paint. Yeah, they have like a full. There's oh, a ton man. of wow. minis coming in this game. Obviously, wow. I can't show you it exactly on the audio or video form, but yeah, there is a lot going on in the board game. I actually that haven't read rules. through how it plays. Yeah, that's a lot of board games these days. As yeah. someone who's gotten more into board games recently, there are a lot of rules to those games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> your your first two or three times playing a game is usually figuring out the game. Right, right, Whereas, right. like, you get Monopoly after a turn. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that obviously is going to do very well, and I'm sure we'll take a look at that on IGN in the future. We've been trying to up our um, board game coverage quite a bit, so hopefully yeah. we'll cover that in the future. But essentially the game is where one to four hunters must explore the town of Yarnum and fight their way through beasts, monsters, and frenzied townsfolk to survive the night and uncover the source of the madness that consumes it is the essential, like, logline. So pretty much the game. Does it have any cool stretch goals? Not that I can see right now. Um, you get quite a bit. It seems like one of those... Uh, 
board game Kickstarters where it's kind of like you're paying to buy the game, sure. basically. Right. It, it, the Hellboy board game was pretty much that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I haven't gotten to dig too deep into the campaign, but just a hugely impressive like opening salvo for this. And <laughs> obviously, people can't get enough Bloodborne. Yeah, I, I really hope they make another one of those games. It would be nice I, I'm sitting here being like, take your time with God of War 2, and I'm like, give me another Bloodborne immediately. <laughs> well, with that one, it's been a few years. Right. It's, it's yeah, not right. like that came out a year ago. It's been a while. Yeah, and it's also, I think, we we're legally required to bring it up in some capacity on every sure. episode. Every episode. Yeah. So at least know, the ones I'm on. You can get a really great deal on Bloodborne you by visiting it. IGN.com. <laughs> uh, who can you follow on Twitter for uh, those great deals? You can follow IGN Deals on Twitter. Yeah, you guys are awesome over there. Deals. Yeah. Oh. Thank you. That's at IGN Deals. They tweet a, a great, great savings constantly. And jokey joker mm-hmm. Uh Seth, before we go on too long, how much longer do we have on the show with you? Before it's two, it's two thirty-ish, right now. Should probably leave. And All right. Uh, I'm going to let you look at News Crunch for a second and tell oh, yeah. me which of these topics do you want us to jump to right now that you can talk about while we're here. Uh, ooh, I'm into this uh, on on F here. On Box F. Trot. Oh. Of course, from your history. Yes. Your legitimate history, which, like, every time I find a little be- bit of Yes, I was are. in the Air Force, so yes. I know the phonetic alphabet. Y- you are an incredibly <laughs> well-lived man. I did a lot of things before me. I came here. And told us the good deals on Animal Crossing. <laughs> told you the good deals. Um, yeah, and I think we'll probably continue this conversation for a bit, but one of the main things I want to talk about this week is the PS5 vague price tease that yeah, came out. Right. So, obviously, uh, you guys weren't on the show last week. We talked quite a bit about the PS5 uh, announcement via Wired, and I do want to go in a little bit more detail with that. But after the piece came out, the writer tweeted out a quote he didn't use in the story regarding the price of the PS5 and Cerny. Obviously, Mark Cerny didn't say, oh, it's going to cost $600 or anything like that. But he did say, I believe that we will be able to release it at an SRP suggested retail price that will be appealing to gamers in light of its advanced feature set. Yeah. Which feels like hedging their bets for like we kind of have like a higher price point than you would probably want in mind but Mm -hmm. we'll listen and figure out like they're not going to go $200 over whatever the next Xbox is but (laughs) to me that screams 500 that's where like oh yeah I would be very surprised if it were anything less than 490 like if it were if it came in at like 349 I would be blown away oh god yeah yeah but even like a 399 price point I I don't don't see I don't think that's I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, um, not at first. Yeah, I, I, I actually I like the sort of the 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 pitch of launching multiple SKUs at different prices. Um, Xbox has been playing with this for a while. They're already doing five hundred dollar consoles, or were right yeah. um, when the One X launched. Uh, I don't really, I don't really see this thing being. Uh, definitely not less than four hundred dollars. I think like four hundred ninety nine ninety nine feels right for this yeah. cutting edge next gen sort of you know console PC thing that you can come home and play video games on that has half a second loading times and right. support with all of their all their all their products and everything. Um, that's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. I I think that like we have looked at. The thing is about video games is that they've the software has been the same price for so long, and we expect hardware to stay the same. Um, whereas hardware has pretty much gone up across the board for everything else. Our phones have gotten more and more expensive every single year. Um, you can get cheap ones, but they don't do what the you know the the cutting edge iPhone and Androids do right. in the same way. Um, and so that's difficult, right? Because it's like, would you, I guess I'll pose this question to you guys. Would you rather software goes up and then every game costs you a little bit more? Or would you rather you pay $500 for a console but games stay at 60 Because I feel like something has to budge. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, the 
cost of games continues to go up and yeah. up at that AAA level. Obviously, we can see people impressively make a game by themselves, yep. and those things can vary in the price and the cost of their lives. But yeah, I I would rather pay the five hundred up front, but I feel like it would be more beneficial to the industry to pay. 10 extra bucks per game per game yeah <laughs> i mean it's the thing is it's like i feel like a lot of companies are figuring out how to get that 10 bucks per game out of you anyway yeah um which is offsetting the costs of you know rising development mm-hmm. and, and studio space and well i mean you get the there's the basic vanilla edition of every game and then you have the whatever the right. collector's edition and then the extreme edition but if you go on amazon right now and that's probably justin <laughs> um and look at what the top selling like games are, and it's the hundred dollar version of Borderlands Three, not the base. Really, people want that one more than anything, and that's one way I think the games are sort of folding in. Like they're giving you the choice: do you want just the basic game? I mean, quote unquote basic. basic. Like, do you right. want like the game without the extras, and then we'll throw in some extras and for some more money? And it's sort of, you know, we just have a lot more choices now. Yep. yep. But yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> sorry, oh, you got to bounce note. I don't no, want to get sorry. yelled at, but Seth, you're going to be on a we couple understand. podcasts. Yes, 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 I am. Right? You'll be on Nintendo Voice Chat, Game mm-hmm. Scoop. So people yep, will hear awesome. you. Uh, go follow Seth on Twitter. That's what at Seth, Seth, Macy. At Seth Macy. There we awesome. go. Thank you so much, yeah. Seth. And follow Thanks, IGN guys. Deals. It was an Thank honor. Thank you, Seth. Thank we'll you. See you soon. Go go finish God of War. Bye, boys. Or do your deals. Uh huh. Excuses, excuses. Sure. Well, there's nothing else to do in Maine. Um, Play with the snow. I don't. No, know. yeah. So I, I, you know, I didn't get to talk to you guys about uh, PlayStation Five stuff. Last yeah, week. I wanted, to, I wanted to dive in with you on that. Not just price point. But yeah, like, I, I would say in, in general, just to preface, um, this is like one of my favorite times. Oh, it's so fun. Of, I, I love this part of the life cycle. That's just, it's like rumors and speculation, and then there's these like weird tit for tat battles that go on bef- between the consoles. Yeah, uh, we're already starting to hear rumors that like. Xbox Anaconda is more powerful <laughs> than PlayStation 5. Well, and we can say, like, I mean, obviously couching it in, like, journalistically responsible ways, but there are so many wild rumors that there are so many things we can talk about, and sorry, Shuhei, if they are totally off base. Right. But, like, there is so much you can jump into, and it is fun to be like, what's it going to be? What is this generational jump going to be? Yeah. Because they did talk about that in that uh, the piece that we talked about a bit last week, but I do want to talk about it with you in the sense of, like, they want this to signify a generational leap. They don't want it to be the PS4 Pro Pro. Yes, which I'm all about. Um, I think having that number jump is a, is a huge deal. I mean, I think we see that with, you know, not to bring up phones again, but this is like we're – careening towards the same business model and have been for a while yeah. where we have incremental leaps and then we have like full number leaps and then you have nonsense like the the 10s max even though we don't have a nine or whatever it is um i'm still working on a 6s yeah so exactly like- and so so that's the thing is i'm glad you bring that up actually because i think it's like uh if if they announce this is what the playstation 5 costs and it's 500 dollars, but at the exact same time they drop the base PS4 and the PS4 Pro down to like sub, like sub, 200 and 250. Yeah, like, something yeah. like that. And it's like it, they're going, look, we want to cover all the bases here. You'll still be able to play because I think we're going to see cross generational titles for a bit. Yeah, I do want to talk to you about that too. Yeah, for sure, but and so I think that like that's a good make good for people who are like. You don't have to be an early adopter for this thing. You don't have to jump in on PlayStation 5 day one. If you do, you will get the best version of, you'll get the fastest version of Spider-Man. You'll get the best version of The Last of Us 2. Um, you'll get you know God of War with half a second load times, whatever it is. Um, but if you don't and you want to keep playing and supporting PlayStation in the way you do, everything old still works. PlayStation 4, PlayStation 4 Pro, you know PSVR, you can still... Uh, approach all those things in the same way you've always wanted to 
I think that's a really good make good. But I do see consoles sort of heading into a more premium space. Yeah. Like $500 feels like a natural progression of where this is all going. Yeah, I mean, we're it's going to sting. Yeah, oh yeah, totally. <laughs> it's it's a thing where I'm like, okay, I, I should make sure I probably start putting aside some of that right. right now. Well, didn't you buy like four PS4? I, <laughs> I wanted to, but I didn't because I also got a dog, and you know, dogs, right. dogs are a little expensive. Yeah, uh, because of how much food they need. That's true. Um, sorry, I'm thinking about my bank account, but no, it <laughs> is. It's one of those things where I think we are at such a weird crux in the life of gaming and the way we get it because obviously we're on the precipice of Sadia coming into play and other, you know, Apple doing its own subscription service and rumors of like Walmart even doing its own gaming. Like those are all these offerings that wouldn't ask you for a console price, but they would ask you for a subscription price. And we're all used to subscription prices in games and in entertainment in general. And so I wonder how much they're going to try to offset the cost. Like maybe they will go for a $400 price point and be like, but PS Plus is going to be an extra ten dollars now going forward, and right, right, like they they could mitigate the entry point because at the end of the day, most console makers, save for like Nintendo, do take their initial console production at a loss. Like yeah. they're selling those things at a huge loss sometimes to get it in the door. And yeah, so like, I think I think you're right. Nintendo's like the only company that sort of routinely profits at launch. Yeah. Um, and I think that the money you end up saving as a consumer and that they end up saving, uh, you kind of lose in the long run when you're looking for a library parity across third-party games, totally. right? Yeah, there, there are trade-offs there. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is that thing where I like, I think based on Cerny's, like the double speak that he's trying to do a little bit to hide it for now, I think that's $500, but they could easily do 400 just to get in the door of everyone because at the end of the day, they do want people to adopt this new generation. Right. And I did want to, you were mentioning a little bit about like, you know, you'll be able to, we'll see some cross-gen games. Do you think Sony is going to develop its biggest games? We talked about this a little last week, but do you think they're going to have these biggest games being developed as a PS5 title as well? So like The Last of Us Ghost and Death Stranding? Or do you think it's going to be like buy the PS4 edition and it works X much better on the PS5? I Yeah. Um, I think a little bit of both. Yeah. Honestly, like I, I, I look at what, I think about like cross-generational games like Twilight Princess, Breath of the Wild. Um, not only did Nintendo at the time emphasize the leading SKU version running on their new consoles, I feel like they sort of systematically de-emphasized the last-gen versions at the same way. I forgot that came out on the Wii U. Exactly, <laughs> a lot of a lot of people did. Um, but it, you know, it it did it did well enough. It made a dent. I think a lot of people who were just sort of like holding on to their old consoles, weren't ready to dive in on a $350 plus tax purchase. Um, I know with Twilight Princess, that was something that staggered and actually released on GameCube a little later than it did on Wii. Um, The advertising and branding and everything was sort of just like, they sort of suffocated that yeah. a little bit. It was all about like this this new skew front and center. This is our new flagship uh, launch title for this new system. So I see that happening, um, and then sort of like that triangle in the corner of a game that says "Best on PS5." Yeah. You know, yeah. stuff like that is interesting. the The Stadia thing is such a fascinating push and pull that you bring that up because it's like you're totally right. And right now, that's wildly unproven tech. Yes, yeah, that has more it. to prove than a yeah. PS5 does. But it is interesting to have this push and pull where you have console manufacturers going, we are heading in towards a $500, five, $550, $600 console territory, which by the way, the last time Sony said we have a $600 console, they got laughed out of the room. Yeah, I, that's why I think they will not go above 500 right. I think going close to the PS3 higher SKU launch point is they don't need those memories coming back. Yeah. Sort of thing. Well, especially coming in 
on top again. Yep. And like they did with PS2, they came in on top, they came in cocky, and they were like, here's a new thing, it's $600. And people were like, no. Yeah. Uh, and backed away immediately. And so they have to, I think they're mindful of that. Yeah. The Stadia thing is fascinating because if you have one side of the industry moving towards $500 consoles and the other side of the industry moving towards no console at all, something's got to give, right? Yeah. Um, and I think for the average casual gamer who is just looking for video game experiences, if they can get those for free stream to their TV or laptop, sure, yeah. awesome. I mean, those are still devices you need, but the other thing that's like, I think people are, aren't really paying attention to is they're touting this like 8K thing. Sony announced in the last 24 hours the price range on their new 8K TVs. Have you seen oh, them? Oh, did they? No, I'm going to look that up right yeah, now. Yeah, look them up. Yeah. One of them is literally, it's like literally $60,000. <laughs> I mean, well, like Seth was, he actually wrote a piece a little bit about this of the fact that like 8K gaming could mean a lot of different things because it's the same thing with the PS4 Pro. It has 4K capabilities, but is it, it doesn't play 4K Blu-rays. There are limitations to what that 4K actually means if it's checkerboarded and all those like the technical things I don't want to go too much into right now, partially because I don't want to misspeak. But um, the 8K thing, like that's not a widely adoptable thing at the moment. Right. They even said, yeah, Sony's ninety in a ninety-eight inch 8K TV costs a staggering seventy thousand dollars. Yes, seventy thousand dollars. So really, 8K TV is right around the corner for all of us. Right. Is what so you're you saying. could, yeah, basically, yeah. Basically, you could get like a like his and hers like starter entry Teslas, or you could get a TV to play like select. Games, yeah, well, it's, right? it's cre- like the the continued push for all this technology. Like sometimes makes me worry we're going toward the Ready Player One universe a little too quickly for yep. my liking. But um, figuring out obviously like the cost and all of that. We were talking a little bit about Stadia, but obviously the big elephant in the room is what Xbox is going to do. Right. And how how do you think the two are positioned going into this generation? Because like like you were saying, in generations past, whatever company was kind of cocky. They've had their butts handed to them. Like right. It was the, what happened with the PS2 to PS3 and what's happened with the 360 to Xbox One. Yeah. I think the interesting side of it now is that Microsoft has a lot to prove. And they spent last year saying, we're ramping up all these new studios. Um, I don't think we're going to see the fruits of those labors for a couple of years, though. Yeah. And so ultimately, video game consoles are about video games. And I think I, I, I do think that there is a a large emphasis on exclusives and a lot of people don't like that. They don't like to play that. It's easier to talk about it on this show than it is on, on locked, yeah. you know, cause we, there's like a sizable library of triple a first party exclusives. Sony has like this suite of development studios that have all sort of been taking turns, chipping away at different games here and there. Um, that's a huge part of it. And so E3 is going to be weird as hell cause Sony won't be there. Microsoft will, I believe, begin to get the messaging out of, like, this is what we're doing. If it's more powerful this time around than what Sony's doing, and they're comparatively priced, and it seems like it has a you know a more interesting exclusive lineup at launch, maybe things will shift. Yeah. It's a lot of, like, what ifs, right? It really depends so much to me on the messaging, which I think is going to be the most fascinating thing, because to me it's like... You could see huge graphical changes from PS2 to PS3 and 360 to Xbox One even and PS3 to PS4. Like there was a noticeable jump from those like 
the Killzone Shadowfall demo they showed, like that looked beautiful, and yeah. you could see certain things. Like even if that wasn't the best game that came out for the PS4, or were, even indicative of the, what the actual game exactly. Like. <laughs> and, and like you know, you look at what God of War can do now. Obviously, like there is a clear jump in what these generations are capable of. Sony is promising all this higher tech for what the PS5 will be. I, I don't know though if like a sizzle reel of what the most beautiful games will look like on the PS5 is going to be what can sell this. Right. Like, I am curious how they go into selling this, not just to the wired audience, but, like, to an audience at large. You're completely right. Um, I, I think that, like, I read about quality of life stuff, like, um, you know, half a second loading times in Spider-Man as, like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. But I've also, I already completed that game. Yeah. So those those loading times are in the past to me. Um, knowing that that's, that's going to be an effort in the future is huge. It's yeah. awesome, right? Like, The Last of Us Part Two. No loads, great. I'll take right. it. Yeah. And and backwards compatibility, awesome feature. Um, I don't think that that is specifically on its own a system seller as much as it is to have like a cool thing in your back pocket. It's that, a great goodwill thing. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And I'm so glad uh, to be proven wrong on this, by the way, because I spent months on this show saying things like they won't do backwards compatibility because they'll figure out a way to get you to double dip on games, which I still think they could. They could. Well, that's what like that's my thinking of because in the original Wired interview. You know, they ask, hey, is Death Stranding going to move to the PS5? And it, it was one of those lines where it was like, it was a wry smile Cerny gave me, but would not comment. And it's like, they might do a PS4 and a PS5 version of Death Stranding. And right. It's like, if those come out far enough apart, a lot of us may double dip because it's like, well, I still, especially if there's an online component to any of these three upcoming PS4 exclusives. Right, right, right. I'm going to want to keep playing them on PS5. Totally agree. You also mentioned like the, you know, the sort of profit margin thing, selling a system at a loss. I think that Sony can operate under that world where they sell the PS5 at a loss and make up for it in other spots, such as PSVR, such as the controllers. I mean, if immediately you buy a PlayStation 5 for $500, which obviously I think that's, or even $450, $400, yeah. And they're they're taking the L on that right off the bat. Yeah. But you buy two controllers with it and they're $100 each. And they're making $40 a controller off of you because it's like cheaper to manufacture small pieces of plastic than it is to manufacture a complex machine. And presumably it's going to adhere somewhat to the PS4. Someone brought it up because it was something that kind of slipped by last week. But like with backward compatibility, the PS5's DualShock is going to have to have all the same functionality of the DualShock 4. Yes. Or games will be unplayable in certain cases. Like it's rare, but there are games that use the touchpad a lot or that do really interact with the light on the controller. Yeah. And so those things have to somewhere be involved. No, you're totally right. Um, That's... Which is... Well, I, I mean, you would think, yeah. well, unless your DualShock Four is maybe compatible with the PS Five, that would I so that's a I think that's a different story entirely. Yeah. I think that like they're they'll they'll be guaranteed to work Bluetooth at the box. I have yeah. a feeling um, there will have to be some sort of push to get you to buy new controllers. Totally. The, the last thing Sony wants you to do is to buy a PlayStation Five on day one and only play your old games and only use your own old controllers. Because yeah. then, effectively, they just they're just taking the L on on launch day, yeah. and you're leaving GameStop with one bag and nothing <laughs> else in it. Yeah. You know, and it's, yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, I know in the past when we've seen backwards compatibility on on consoles uh, and handhelds, um, certain things get lost in the shuffle. And that's okay, right? Like certain games, like you look at something like Tearaway, like if it had to use every single part of the deer there uh, and it didn't, 
and you just couldn't play Tearaway, then they could easily put a little star next to things that say, say backwards compatibility with most PlayStation 4 titles. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to, like, they just introduced name changes for PSN IDs, and there are some games that functionally don't work with it. That's so, a yeah, great I, example. You're, you're right. They are probably willing to take that yep. if they need to. Yeah. But did you change your name, by the way? I haven't yet. Okay. I'm strongly considering it. I saw when I made it, and I'm kind of thinking I might wait until that date this year because it would be a 10-year anniversary of that date. Right. And that just feels like a stupid thing I should wait to do, but I should really change my name. I think that like mine was like based. I I started thinking about like where I even got mine from, and it was based on the fact that like way back in the day I used to play Perfect Dark with my friends. Okay, and you could rename Sims in that game as like Agent, and I just uh, typed like Agent B, and then turned it into like an Agent Bizzle, and it just became this like dumb thing, (laughs) and it's sort of just stuck. And now I'm verified on Twitter, and I don't think I can change it without losing a check mark. Yeah. it's it's a whole thing, but you'll you, have to contact Jack. About exactly, <laughs> but you end up you end up with these carrying these crosses forever. Basically. Yeah, I mean this one. It's like I was still making aim screen names at the time <laughs> and liked Kingdom Hearts. That's yep. how I got to mine with Sora. So nothing's changed. Exactly. So <laughs> it, it will just be a different Kingdom Hearts name at this point. Um, but yeah, it's a really exciting time for that stuff just because I, like there's so much we're going to be able to talk about. Like every little sentence that Sony says about the PS5 in the next year yep. is interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and obviously, if you're listening or watching, um, tweet at us and, and email us at Beyond at IGN. Tell yes. us what you think the price is going to be, what your theories are. Um, we love to hear from you guys on this. So this is like, this is I don't I, I love this part. Yeah, me too. And I definitely want to engage you guys a lot more, guys and girls, and everyone uh, going forward with the show. We reached out when we were doing the live stream last week. I asked everyone like, "Hey, what do you think the price is going to be during that episode?" And I think we got like uh, four hundred responses. Wow. And everyone, a lot of people were on the four ninety nine train. I think that was the highest. I'm looking at the poll right now. It's still at sixty one percent for four ninety nine. Interesting. Yeah, with so, one point three thousand votes. Wow. So, so, so it's do you. Do you feel anecdotally that people are warming up to that prospect? Because I don't know if it's like warming up, but like just maybe preparing themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is like tech always is expensive in that new generation. It eventually goes down in price unless you're a Nintendo first party game. Right. You never go down in price. But other than that, you expect those things to go cheaper and you wait for a price drop or you wait for bundles. Like we obviously saw PSVR sold millions of units in the last year because of all those bundles they yep. were doing and because of that lowered price. Like that Very smart. helps. And so I think even if it is 500 at launch, the crazy drop-off in price you see, like new games come out and they are half on sale on the PSN two weeks later sometimes. Like I think they will, even if they start with 499, and I do think they're going to start there, they will adjust accordingly. Right. If it if it bombs. Yeah. They're going to be like, hey, we screwed that up. 399 Two months later, if no one buys it, no, it's like that's but, the, that's yeah. the great irony of being somebody who loves video games, and we're all guilty of this. But like, the one of the dumbest things you can do in the world is buy something the second it comes yep. out. Yeah, but with video games, it's all about like get that new that new thing immediately. Yeah, but if you're smart and you wait even a week or two, you can usually get a, a great deal on a, something, a better experience. It, yeah. it even comes down to like games because games are so updated now after the fact it's right. like I, I just went back and i wanted to talk about this a little later i just went back to playing assassin's creed odyssey and yep. like one of the hardest things about that game was like there were very few vantage points when it first came out and so in a recent update they were like hey 20 or 30 new vantage points that you can synchronize and be able to fast travel more easily and it's like oh great 
if I bought the game today, I would never have had that issue. Right. It's just a thing that they put into the game. And it's great that we can do those things. But yeah. That, that happens on the console side, too. That's why I was just reading the patch notes for Sekiro, and it was like, same sort of deal where they're yeah. just like, oh, some of your combat arts are a little easier to come by because they noticed that like people were doing that weird RPG thing where like they get them and then hoard them because they're like, one day I'll use these, yep. and then yeah. you never use them, and then yeah. the game's over. Um, so they wanted to make things a little bit more easy. Um, they sort of pushed and pulled the strength and weaknesses of some of the bosses, some yeah. of them that kind of weren't cheap or a little cheap and fun. No easy mode or anything like that <laughs> yet, so don't flip the table over. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like, it's, it's sort of... it it's. It's sort of good to wait a little bit for yeah. most for most things. It's a way of life in the industry now of like game makers and publishers and devs respond to fan feedback now yep. and can do so pretty immediately. There's a whole other side of that argument about like making sure that doesn't affect the people making the games yep. on a like on a crunch level. And mm -hmm. obviously we can talk about that in the future. But yeah, it's a fascinating time to see how they're going to respond to I'm sure the reactions to the wired piece already changed some of their messaging plans. Yes. And yeah. so I'm curious to see, obviously, without... Do you think they'll do a PSX this year before we jump off to another story? Do you think they'll have some sort of big show if they're not doing E3 this year? No. No? No, I think that we... And I think that... Which kind of sucks because I love PSX. Yeah. I, like, I love, I, I, love, I love going to that show. I love being at the show, talking to people, playing games. Um, it feels really awesome to be in this giant room that is just PlayStation. Um, and then popping around to all of the small booths and big booths and seeing what everybody's working on. I love that. But I think with State of Play, and again, I'd love to be proven wrong because it's a great show. But with State of Play, I think they have the opportunity now to to sort of like get stuff out more often. Yeah. When they feel like it's time. Yeah. They can do it and they don't have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a convention space. Then again, I didn't think we would hear anything about the PS5 at all this year, yeah. let alone in an interview with like a magazine. I thought know? we would get stuff later in the year. Totally. But yeah. Totally. And so yeah, before we jump off, one last question. Do you think we're going to get a fall release next year or is it going to be somewhere else in the year? Um, Are you expecting fall 2020? Fall feels right. Yeah. Spring would be awesome. Yeah. It'd be curious. Yeah, I'd like to see someone take that risk just to see what happens. Yeah, but I'm uh, they have faith in the fall. So. I think that yeah, we have to we have to talk in forty nine days when E yep. three kicks off because the, the, this game of chicken is going to begin between yeah. these two warring consoles and whoever says this is what we're doing the other the other side has to do that as well. Yeah, um, yeah. and and Sony's. Sony walked right into that because yeah. they, 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 a couple years ago they did that whole tit for tat video with yeah. Adam Boyce and Jure. And now Microsoft will get to respond at yep. E3. And then I imagine Sony will respond not that week, but yep. sometime soon after. It'll be really fun to see what happens. This is, like you're saying, such an exciting time to cover this stuff. It is. And Obviously, as we hear more, we'll be talking about it probably at length on this show. Mm -hmm. uh, moving on, before ratcheting up, wrapping up, not ratcheting, up News Crunch, uh, just quickly to mention, Kingdom Hearts 3 is getting its critical mode, long-awaited. I know Brian's excited about that. That's making the game more difficult, right? Yeah, so uh, one of the biggest complaints that a lot of people had, and I didn't really talk about it too much at length in my review, but like I do agree with it, the game is pretty easy. Like The game, there are much harder bosses and levels and just stuff in the older games that this game, even on the harder difficulty, I only played on the harder difficulty maybe half the game, but it didn't really hit that for me. Critical mode is always like the hardest difficulty in any of these games. Uh, it supplanted what used to be proud mode was the hardest difficulty. Critical is now the hardest difficulty because <laughs> it names. Um, it's Kingdom Hearts. But anyway, so they're finally adding critical mode. Uh, they mentioned there will be some like new uh, abilities added to the game. They didn't say specifically what critical mode will change, but in the past it's been like, 
enemies deal double damage to you, you deal 1.25 damage, you get half health for upgrades or whatever. Right, right, right. Or like when you gain AP or ability points, you only get two instead of three. So th there are all these little like tweaks that critical mode makes. And so are there like, do you know if there's any like specific rewards to beating it? Like what do they do with trophies in a situation like that? Because I, I assume there's there, you've got the platinum already, right? I actually haven't. There's a how lot, dare you? I know the, the work happens. <laughs> there are a lot of things going on here. Um, they could add it. Like Spider-Man added a trophy for when they added their harder difficulty right. post-launch. So they have the option to add trophies. Um, will they? I don't know because they are planning bigger paid DLC, and they may like. I think you have to go through a separate trophy certification, like to make sure the trophies are like fair. Because there's sort of like a numerical percentage that each trophy represents. Of your right, game. right, right, right. Like you can't add a second trophy, uh, platinum trophy. To no, you. no, but no. But uh, if you're adding, say, five trophies in for DLC, they can't all be golds. Like yeah. they, they want it to be comparative. And so I don't know if they want to put the effort in for that when they're like, just put this difficulty mode out. Do you do you think critical mode was something that they were working on for a while, or is this a response to fans being like, this is too easy? Probably a little of both. Like my guess is they probably play tested it in certain ways and had difficulties in mind. Um, like critical mode has become such a big thing for Kingdom Hearts fans, um, especially with the last few games. It seems crazy that it wasn't there at first, but obviously this was also a game that got delayed a few times and that yeah. we've been hearing about for years, and so some things have to give and some have to take in that development and this I guess was an easy like decision to make to keep this out um, but I do think they probably had some critical mode in mind before it came out right 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 um, but yeah it's going to be out at the time you're hearing this so oh that's awesome yeah but by the time this goes live people have already started playing it but speaking of Kingdom Hearts and Square Square Enix did announce their press conference for E3 this year and they are taking the Sony spot this year which is how crazy is that Monday at 6pm which yeah. to me says they have something to show. Yeah. Their showcase last year was, to be honest, like kind of a disappointment. It was a lot of trailers we either saw in other press conferences mm -hmm. or things that were released like the week before. There were only like a couple minor announcements, I think, from it. Nothing on the scale of Kingdom Hearts 3's release date. That was announced at the Kingdom Hearts concert two days before. <laughs> so, but to me, I don't know, do you think this means they have big stuff to show or are we just going to get an hour? I, I mean, I feel like this, th let's see. Well, this will be between Avengers Endgame and Spider-Man Far From Home. Yeah. Right? And so, obviously, Avengers Endgame will probably be just petering off at the box office. We're not. Still just going it, strong. It could do a Titanic. It yeah. Number one and just for go for, weeks. like, two years. Yeah. God. Um, but we know that they have they have a video game, right? Yeah. And and so, I feel like we're going to finally see some stuff for that. This feels like a big a big time slot to go, here's what we're doing. Yeah. Um, whether or not we get something from Tomb Raider, I'd be surprised. The last um, bit of DLC for Shadow just came out. I mean, yeah. Coming out this week. I read an interview just a few days ago saying, like, you know, they, they obviously want to keep telling stories in that world. Yeah. Um, and why wouldn't they? Because they've, they've all been pretty damn cool. Uh, so hopefully something there. Um, I don't know. It's weird, right? Yeah, because it's like, where, where, does a, where does a company like that sit uh, in this weird tail end of the console generation we're in right now. Yeah, because like to announce anything for the next six months feels a little weird. Like yep. I think we'll get, they've talked about it a bit, like there is planned paid bigger DLC for Kingdom Hearts 3 coming. That feels like an easy win to put in there as yeah. an announcement. Um, the big one would be Final Fantasy VII Remake, which of course that when it was taken internal in Square, they kind of like scrapped it from what we know and like rebooted development on that internally. Who knows what production state that's in? Nomura, when I got to interview him in Japan last year, like was saying, 
now that my time with Kingdom Hearts is wrapping down, I can put more time into that. Right. It's like, who knows how far along that project actually is. I, yeah, I wish there was more transparency with that. I really appreciated the news we got on Metroid Prime 4 recently that was yeah. effectively like, we're scrapping it and rebooting it, and we're working with the guys that did the trilogy before. Yep. So there's that. We're being transparent. Sorry this sucks, but it is what it is. Yeah. I would like something like that with Final Fantasy VII because I feel like we're we're in the dark. This will now be what, the th- Fourth? Fourth E3? Third or fourth E3? Since it was announced? Yeah. Uh, Third? This this is one of those. Me too, yeah. Might be fourth? Yeah, I I feel like this was one of the. Yeah, E3 2015. Yeah, 2015. So this was one of the crown jewels in like Sony's sort of like. Here's here's everything we're doing. Yep. Here's what's going on. Um, that was Last Guardian. That was a couple other things. Are, I, no Man's Sky in there. No Man's that Sky. Year. I feel like and Shenmue, then was Shenmue, Shenmue was, was which is like feels like it's actually coming into fruition. Yeah, it comes out in on. August. I think. Yeah, yeah, like it's got a release date. Yep. Um, or I <laughs> new footage and a release date for Final Fantasy VII seems likely for the Square Enix conference. Yeah, I, I could see. Yeah, I don't know about exact date. I think we'll get probably a year. A year. Some, like, <laughs> yeah. We'll get something because, like, I think they don't want to get burned in the way that like fans were upset when Kingdom Hearts would get delayed. And like, obviously, yep. people understand. Like, take the time you need to make the game, but you also do get the people who are like, "Why can't you finish it faster?" Mm-hmm. Don't understand that it's people making the game and not magic. But yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's a weird one where. I mean, at the same time, I think it's weird Bethesda is still having a conference. I mean, maybe they can surprise us this year, but their conference last year to me screamed of, we don't have too many things to show you right now that are at a high enough level. Right. So here are two CGI trailers for games that are years away. Yeah, like like incredibly high concept, uh, like logo renders and like pitches, basically. Yeah, and like we're going to get, obviously, Wolfenstein Youngblood, which comes out a few weeks after. We'll get um, probably Elder Scrolls Blades updates. Uh, They have... Doom Eternal coming out like they have a few games but uh, like conferences mean something yeah or they yeah. did I don't well, know if they still will yeah. <laughs> going forward but I, I mean are they first this year yeah I yeah. think so, so I, I think it's like they're in a they're in a good spot for that because they you can usually just sort of come out and go like here's like 46 minutes on what we're doing and it's not really compared to anything else yet they can do a deep dive yeah. into a game yeah because you're the first true. conference of the year um, yeah, we'll EA more... isn't having one this year. Right, so they scrapped right. doing that. So EA's not, and then obviously Sony's slot went to Square Enix. Interestingly enough, uh, if our schedule is correct, and if not, Miranda, uh, Microsoft. <laughs> I think it's pretty correct. Miranda knows what she's doing. Uh, Microsoft is actually first. Oh, interesting. Sunday at one p.m. Pacific, whereas Bethesda is five thirty p.m. Pacific that day. Right. So. Microsoft will be the opening salvo of the show. I still feel like we're going to get something from... I, maybe I'm crazy. I feel like we're going to get something from PlayStation. I think... Like, like a, just a, the way... Like this weird like <laughs> like thing that shoots out like a broadcast. It's just like, <laughs> we interrupt this message for a special PlayStation I minute. think there will absolutely be a state of play the week before or the week after. Like, there yes. will be something in the vicinity of E3. I think they, like, stepping out of E3, it'd be a little weird to also put on a state of play that week. Also, please don't, because there are like six other press conferences popping up now that people are leaving, and I have too much to do already. But I think they will want to own a week or a day yeah. with whatever they show. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, we we're less than two months away. It's crazy. Now. Oh my gosh, it's yeah. it's coming up very quickly. But 
yeah, that wraps up pretty much everything I want to talk about for News Crunch. There are just uh, briefly to mention Slay the Spire was announced for a PS4 in May. This is a really cool like uh, roguelike card game that Tom Marks, I believe, reviewed for us. It's very good. It's on PC right now. But He loves those PS4. roguelike card games. He loves them in that weirdo. That's his jam. Um, he also, I don't know if he likes it, but Shakedown in Hawaii was finally announced for May 7th for mm-hmm. PS4. That was shown in like a, the first Nindy showcase Yeah, uh, back in 2017. That is the uh, sort of spirit successor to Retro City Rampage. Rampage I believe yeah. so, yeah. Which I always get confused with River City Ransom, which is one of my favorite games of all time. Yes. Uh, it's also Sha- coming to Vita. Oh, cool. Yes, That's May awesome. 7th. Yeah. Shakedown Hawaii is basically um, sort of the Vice City to Retro City Rampage's um, top-down pixel art take on the old-school GTA formula. Yeah. Um, the last game was super... Jokey had millions of pop cultural references, so if that's your jam, I have a feeling there'll be more of that. Here. I, I feel like yeah, but just based on like the art and the like very Scarfacey sort of vibe to a lot of the character yep. models, I feel like that's probably what they're going to go for. But yeah, just to, to mention a couple games that, in addition to the PSVR stuff coming out in May, there'll be stuff to play in May, which yeah. is nice. Uh, moving on from that, I did want to mention a game that doesn't have a May release date but has a release date of 2019. Uh, I got to sit down with Ryan Payton from Camouflage, who are making Marvel's Iron Man VR. That's right, uh, a pretty big profile Marvel game coming out uh, and I spoke with him just about taking on a Marvel game like that especially around the time of Endgame so Jonathan take that away I'm joined this week by Ryan Payton of Camouflage you're the director of Marvel's Iron Man VR I have that correct that I know correct. you told me everything beforehand but I just want to make no, sure you I got still it, didn't man. get it right alright we're just going to keep rolling with that uh, you're here today to of course talk about Marvel's Iron Man VR I got to play it a couple weeks ago at a mm. PSVR demo event absolutely had a huge blast with the game, but I think, you know, we have a large PSVR audience mm. that listens to Beyond, and obviously a just big PlayStation audience who may not have PSVR, may be interested in this. And so I wanted to hear a little bit more from you directly about the game, about the experience of developing a Marvel game, <laughs> and some of the cool stuff you guys are doing. So for those who may not know anything outside of who Iron Man is, can you tell me a little bit about, like, the game itself? Absolutely, yeah. First of all, Jonathan, thanks for having me on your show. Of it's course. A big, big honor. Happy uh, to have you. Yeah, it's a, a big fan of the show, too, so oh, this, thank is, this you. is really fun. I'm sorry. Whenever we say really dumb things, no, 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 (laughs) it's 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 really it's 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 you know it's it's got you guys have like a real good uh, angle and uh, a lot of passion for for what you guys talk about and uh, you know as a developer it's fun to to listen to that so (laughs) and everything we get wrong no no it's it's really (laughs) is a good it's a good perspective sure Um, so yeah but for Marvel's Iron Man VR yeah it's a uh, it's a PlayStation VR exclusive uh, published by Sony developed by Camouflage uh, a company I help run up in Seattle and we've got 66 really passionate developers working on uh, Marvel's Iron Man VR for the past two and a half years plus. And uh, we set off to make the best VR game possible. And, uh, and with, with, with Iron Man, we couldn't think of a better matching of VR than with, the Iron, Man, with Iron Man, with the suit, with the HUD. We'll get into all that, obviously. Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big VR game for PlayStation VR. Like I said, exclusive in it. Um, and not just not just like the action, but also as it's coupled with a really big campaign as well. Yeah, so I want to talk a little bit about like the structure of the game, or at least as much as you can say at this point. So because I know that for some people, we had some questions when they first saw the trailer. They're like, "Oh, is it a non-rail shooter? Is it you know like very specific instances that you're just going into and it's arcadey?" Because there have been Marvel arcade VR games before. Yeah. Um, and of course, I mentioned in my preview. No, you're you're flying around a huge open spaces. You're going through, and there were story beats that we got the hint of. But can you tell me exactly the scope of what you guys are making? There? Absolutely. Well, as much as I can. Yeah. Right. Of course. <laughs> Give but, me uh, beat by beat the story, if you don't mind. <laughs> I would love to, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So we, we when we set off to, to to make Marvel's Iron Man VR, we wanted to, like you said, not make a game that's on rails. We wanted to make it a full 
full experience where wherever you want to fly, you can fly. It's that really that fantasy, that full fantasy of, of being Iron Man and matching the, the move controllers with, with the repulsor jets, right? So um, you have got the two uh, move controllers in your hands, and you operate them as you did at the, at the press event, and uh, the jets come out of your palms, and you just basically fly wherever you want to fly. So really focusing on that, f- that freedom of flight, that 360 movement, um, was, was like the, 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 the foundation for the game. And then we've kind of built up from there, right? It was, we knew we had that. Now we wanted to just make a real game. <laughs> and so uh, it's, it, what we do is the game is um, structured pretty similar to you know, like a first-person action title. So uh, it's, there's missions, there's, man, there's main missions, there's optional missions, there's cinematics in between. Um, so the structure is obviously um, something that I'm familiar with, you know, with some of my background in terms of the games that I've worked on in the past, like, like Metal Gear and, and Halo. Um, but we try to mix it up a little bit as well to try to uh, speak to the strengths of VR because, um, as you know, it's a totally different medium. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And it's so much about a medium. And that, that's been the fun thing about trying to talk to the audience about PSVR, those who haven't and those who don't. It is so much about, like, once you get your hands on it and once you get your face in the headset, it's a totally different level to that stuff. Um, I did want to ask, because you were talking a little bit about you know, obviously this game will have a campaign and a story and everything. What were you and the team excited to explore about Iron Man as a character in this game? Like, what, what do you want to bring fresh to the character? What did you want to make sure you hit on? Stuff like that. Right, yeah. So, so Marvel's Iron Man VR is a completely original story uh, written explicitly for this game. So it's not from the films. It's not from the comics. Uh, it's, 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 it's unique to, to this game. And, uh, and so from the very beginning, we, we partnered uh, very closely with Marvel Games, um, Mike Jones, Jayong, uh, Eric uh, Monticelli, and especially uh, Bill Roseman over there on the story side of things, right? So, uh, and for me personally, and also I think for a lot of the folks that the, on the team at Camouflage, we were really excited not only to tell the Iron Man story, but in particular the Tony Stark story because he's such a fascinating character. Yeah. And I, kn- I know your listeners are very familiar with Marvel and, and, <laughs> and, and who Iron Man and Tony Stark is, but you know he's he's a, he's, a, he's a really great character to explore. Um, because you know, he's, he's his own worst enemy, right? He's a lot of fun, um, but there's a, there's a lot of areas where we can explore more of the, like the darker side uh, of his character. It's gonna be something that's gonna, I think, explore some, some interesting and serious topics um, that you sometimes get in the films. And as storytellers, and, and I think given our background, uh, that's, a, that's, an, that's an area that we're, we're quite comfortable with. And again, trying to do it in a unique way that really speaks to the strengths of VR. Um, and that's when one of the unique challenges of this game is that uh, you know, there's, there's there's a lot of history. There's 30 <laughs> years of history of, of, of developing interesting games on flat screen, um, and especially how you tell stories in, in those games. Um, but for us, it's been two and a half years of incubation, ideation on how do we tell a really, really great Iron Man story, Tony Stark story, in first person, in VR, that, <laughs> that really... Um, that really, where the player walks away with feeling that not only is that a great story, but that was something that was meaningful. What are some of the like big differences? Obviously, you said it's been a couple of years that you guys have been working on this. What are some of those big differences you notice in crafting either story or gameplay elements for a VR experience and making sure that hits in the same way that people are so used to playing games mm. traditionally? Right. So uh, early on, one of the things we really struggled with was what is it? Gonna, how do you? As in first person, how do you feel like you're Tony? Yeah. I mean, that's, maybe this sounds kind of strange, but uh, as we were exploring having full arm IK, which is actually quite u- unique for our game, um, by, by IK I mean that the player can move their move controllers and they see their full arms, not just like disembodied hands, which <laughs> can get kind of gruesome at times. Right? Yeah. And so you look down, you see that you're in Tony's tuxedo or you see him as like in his, uh, in his, in his suit. Um, and, and, and then there's like this disembodied voice of Tony coming out of you. <laughs> and how does that make it? not feel awkward and weird, but how does it make it feel like, oh, you know, I'm role-playing as Tony. So that's, that's one thing that I think that was an interesting challenge. Um, and then also just with, again, due to the nature of VR and in first person is that we can't cut the camera. You know, we, <laughs> we just have to, you know, let the scene play out the way it's going to play out. And yeah. in the demo, you played uh, a scene where um, 
we introduced Pepper Potts, mm-hmm. um, who we we have in the early on in the story uh, being announced that she's taking over as CEO of Stark Industries, and there's this interesting friction between him and, and Pepper, and so, um, but. You know, and, then, and there's also this kind of interaction where she's trying to hand you something and then you kind of reach for it. We wanted to also not just tell a story where players are like watching a play, but that they're an active participant in it, mm-hmm. which I think also, again, speaks to the strengths of VR. Yeah, yeah, there's so often, it's funny because obviously you can, she can hand you something and you can be an idiot and be like, I'm throwing this across the plane because right. I don't care. But, or I, at least for me in that demo, I was like, oh yes, I am Tony Stark and I must take this responsibly, but also with a little bit of like snide, like maybe I care about this, maybe not. Like you start to immediately inhabit that character. Um, for me, one of the best moments in the demo was when the mask comes flying towards oh, you right. and everything goes dark for a second. Mm. And then you just hear the really familiar, like the blips and the lights start to come up. How much of like nailing that experience has that been like core to what you guys have been designing? Cause obviously that's not gameplay necessarily. That's all more aesthetic stuff, mm-hmm. but you want to make sure that that feeling you feel like Iron Man in that moment. Yeah, exactly. So when you, when you go and you pitch to Marvel and eventually Sony that you want to make an Iron Man game for VR, like <laughs> there's, there's very quickly a, a list, a laundry list of things you have to execute on or you <laughs> failed, right? Yeah. And so one of them was very early on was flight. Like flight has to feel great. Uh, and then the repulsor is the shooting has to feel great. Um, and then next up, like or almost, com- almost going from like down your body up to your head, right? But with the, with the PlayStation VR helmet, matching that to what everybody understands from the films in particular is that fantasy of being inside the HUD, right? Yeah. And so uh, through over the last you know, number of years as we've been working on this game, uh, I'm not exaggerating, we've, we've completely done a, 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 a HUD representation in VR and scrapped it and started over about four to five times. Oh, wow. Um, just to try to get that, that, that full feeling to make sure that it nails that fantasy. And, uh, and I'm glad that you, f- you felt like it was, is, is on the right track because that, that's, that was a big, that's been a big struggle for the team. Um, but we're finally starting to feel like, yeah, it's, we've been nailing it. Yeah, there was even, it's something I always noticed in the, the films that have come out recently with Iron Man where it, there's like a slight delay to, from his head movement to that. And you guys nailed that mm. in the VR where it's like, oh yeah, it's moving, like it's catching up with me because maybe I'm frantically looking around Around, like everything is on fire how do I save this you know what's interesting is that working on this game is that we've we oftentimes we kind of we overthought a lot of the design <laughs> yeah. because if we just go back to what the IP is and how do you match Iron Man with VR uh, for example that delay in the HUD we didn't initially have that mm-hmm. and we go back and watch the films or we look at the comics and we think oh why don't we just do what they've been doing for the past 50 years? You know, it sounds <laughs> yeah. silly, right? But we, we tend to, as developers, I think we oftentimes overthink it. But the, whenever we, we come back to what, what's the, the core of this IP, what's the core thing about what makes Iron Man cool and trying to match that with the strengths of VR, we tend to come out pretty good. I, at least from the 20 minutes, it felt that way, too. I'm, I'm curious, though, you know, we've talked a little bit about there's the history of the character mm. and you're working closely with Marvel and everything. Right now, you know, the Avengers movies, Iron Man, they are some of the biggest IP in existence. They are undoubtedly the biggest movies of this generation in so many ways. How do you feel the pressure of like wanting to make your own stamp on Tony Stark, but also staying true to like the character that so many people in modern day have fallen in love mm. with? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question because I, I I feel more comfortable with the pressure of not messing up <laughs> messing up a large IP, you know, given my, my background. I've been very fortunate to have worked on Metal Gear. Yeah. I haven't worked on Halo. And so I guess for me it's always been, um, with the exception of our own our first game, Republic, uh, there, there's that there's that, that anticipation, that expectation that this next follow this follow up of this beloved character needs to be great. So for me and a lot of the folks on the team um, who come from a triple A background, we actually feel a little more at home than we did okay. doing kind of more indie stuff. Mm-hmm. And so um, for me, it's just a lot of fun, right? And 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 also being able to look at see the the, the 
the the press's reaction to that that event that you went, that you attended, Jonathan, yeah. and uh, and also just seeing the fans getting really excited about um, because we know what they want, and that actually makes I think our jobs a lot easier than if we were doing original IP, right? Is that we know even when we were um, sorry to take a quick uh, oh, a no. quick de- a quick detour. That's what we do on the show. Um, but for having worked on a game for two and a half years, uh, that that. Thank God did not leak. Um, <laughs> I, I swear to God, I would wake up every morning, um, kind of one eye on Twitter, like it didn't leak, it didn't, didn't leak, right? It didn't leak, right? I did want to ask um, about that, like the pressure of that, especially when you are dealing with a big beloved IP and hoping that things don't go wrong. Sometimes that can be out of your control. Sometimes, absolutely. It's, but like that pressure must be a lot. And it is. There yeah. must be some relief now. Uh, the, yeah, <laughs> it's it's it. Uh, one of one of the the guys in our staff, um, James Clinton Howell, he 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 described it as it felt like. You're, you're kind of last day of the semester after you've done your finals. There's just like this, you're just awash with relief, yeah. you know? And so, but I did not have relief one morning, I want to say it was three or four months ago, when there was a big Reddit thread about what would a great Iron Man PlayStation experience be or something. Mm. And, the, and the thread just blew up. Yeah. And we did a lot of research into it. And it really actually made us feel really good once we realized the game hadn't leaked, <laughs> um, which was, I want to fly wherever, like I want, fl- like flight, they, have, they would have to nail it. And I want to fly wherever I want to fly. Um, like the shooting out of your palms need to feel like you're doing the repulsors, right? Yeah. The helmet needs to feel like you're in the HUD. Um, I, I want to play as Tony, not just Iron Man, but I want to play as Tony and I want to get in trouble as Tony. I want to get yelled <laughs> at by Pepper Potts, right? Mm-hmm. Or just this chick, like it's just like this like laundry list of like, yep, check. We did it check, all. Check. Yeah. We even have Pepper Potts yelling at the player. <laughs> check. Uh, you know, so that, so in a roundabout way to answer your question, Jonathan, it's, it's, yes, there's a lot of pressure, but at least we understand what we need to execute on yeah. as opposed to kind of out there in the wilderness trying to figure out what, what do players really want. Yeah. Sometimes when you're creating your own thing, even if you really believe in it, it's like, will other people believe in it in the same way we do? At right. least, you know, here, there's a couple fans of Iron Man out there. So exactly. hopefully they are on the same wavelength. Um, that being said, though, if you don't mind, yeah, um, there, I also don't want to come across though, that this is like a, this is a development that is like easy Right. Or or that the IP is really that you go on autopilot. Oh, you just have to have this character in this moment Um, because, you know, as as creators too, our team, they want to put their own unique stamp on on this game. Right. And if 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 PlayStation and and Marvel had worked with a different developer, I think they would get a very different type of Iron Man VR. Uh, But for for camouflage for us, it was really about pairing that that deep gameplay loop, that great flying and also um, having a deep story as as Tony. And so I did want to talk about the flying mechanics. Sure, We've sure. talked a bit about like story and your aims for portraying Tony Stark, but uh, wanted to get into the like pure mechanics of flying because it is one of those things where the best approximation I could give to it was like in the course of that 20-minute demo, it felt like I was going from Tony in that first mm-hmm. scene in Iron Man 1 where he shoots himself into the roof and can't properly stabilize himself to him at the end of that movie or in one of the Iron Man sequels where he has a little bit more control sure. and he's able to have one hand thrusting while he's shooting with the other. Like there's a really deep complexity there. Where did you guys start though with in terms of like the, getting the flying mechanics and making it feel like it was right? Mm. Right, so when we first started talking to Marvel Games about this opportunity of camouflage working on, on, on Iron Man VR, the first thing that we did um, when we knew that this, this we had a chance to be able to work on this was um, Troy Johnson, one of the, the lead uh, gameplay engineers at Camouflage, just started messing around with Hey, what happens if we attach physics thrusters to the to the palms of players' hands with the uh, with move controls um, in VR? And um, instantly, I, and I, I mean I mean that like within <laughs> that that day, we were flying wow. around big open gray box environments, 
just like Iron Man, and it and it felt great. And our first question to ourselves was, why don't we feel sick? And <laughs> why why hasn't nobody done this before? And are we crazy? But isn't this really awesome, right? And that's what we so we we, we developed that prototype for another week or two, showed it to Marvel, they loved it, um, and then the rest is history. Um, but we we really did start off with the flying mechanics and making sure that players can not only fly wherever they want to, but they can also rotate rotate their body in 360. And uh, as you as you're able to experience, that's a really unique thing for PlayStation VR. That even though it has that one single PlayStation camera, that players can move around the, in the, in their living room or wherever they are, rotate their body in three, 360 degrees, and be able to uh, not have to worry so much about whether or not they're going to lose tracking or not. Yeah, and thankfully with the lights on the back of the headset, it feels you can manage that. But I, ma- I imagine it must be tough to make sure all of that's working right and keeping the tracking and all of that. Obviously, we don't need to get too nitty-gritty of like how PSVR cameras work in relation yeah, to thank you. Yeah, not getting I've into got, it. Let's spend three hours on that. I my my team would cringe uh, <laughs> because in another interview, I described it as black magic that we were okay, using. Yeah. And they're like, but Ryan, predictive technology and using gyros- gyroscopes is not black magic. I'm like, I get it, guys. But in my it's world, science, it's, it's, I think it's freaking cool. Yeah. Let, let me get excited about what you guys are doing because I think we did, we spent over a year trying to develop be able to let the player move oh, wow. in 360 in PlayStation VR, and I think the team should be really proud of that. Yeah, it, it works so seamlessly. Like I, I love a lot of PSVR experiences that I've played recently. I was like, I didn't really have a lot of interest in VR when it was first happening because mm-hmm. I was like, let me see where this goes. But in the last, you know, maybe eight months or so, I've played so many games that were like, oh, I'm a true believer in this. There are so many things that I really care about and make so many great experiences, but a lot of them are stationary for the most part, or you are usually at sure. a fixed point. Um, and the freedom that you guys allow for, at least in the demo portion, was like, incredible like there was just this level of you can go anywhere in this mm. area um, and that's just the tip of the iceberg yeah jonathan like we've only shown what two missions basically we've got a lot more in much bigger environments too so that's awesome like the team is just asking like when can we show more of the game when can we show more of the game because uh as you mentioned there were some misconceptions early on about whether the game was on rails and it couldn't be further from it well and it's always hard with a vr game because it is so much like we were saying about the practicality of actually putting it on and even then it feels like magic mm-hmm. even if there is the science behind it it feels like magic sometimes when it works yeah um i do want to talk a little bit about so you were mentioning the thrusters and everything just for those who may not know it is hard to if you're listening to the audio version I'll mention what my hands are doing but essentially you hold the move controllers flat and that allows you to thrust upward and then you can sort of tilt them back or forth to change your trajectory exactly, essentially how exactly. it works yeah and um, in terms of like the flying you were saying that really came together kind of instantly yes. in terms of the great feeling of it mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you avoid um, you were saying you guys weren't feeling sick when you did that but have you had to put a lot of care into making sure that feeling of preventing motion sickness doesn't occur at some point in right yeah you were mentioning just before that about um, just it really starting for PlayStation VR and VR in general is kind of coming into its own and be able to kind of experience all this great content recently and funny enough one of our initial pillars or sales points of, uh, of, of working with Marvel and Iron Man VR was that this game is not experimental it's going to be built off of the the shoulders of all these previous <laughs> VR games, all the strengths and weaknesses and things that they experimented with, we're going to look at those and we're going to build upon those and make like a full kind of mainstream friendly big VR game. That yeah. was really part of the pitch. And so a big part of that was also learning what what's comfortable in VR, what's not comfortable in VR. Um, that being said, though, we can't help people that have a fear of flight, uh, a fear of heights. Oh, interesting. Which is interesting. Yeah. Because, you know, VR is, you know, it's you're, you're trying to basically simulate reality. Yeah. And we've had people who have a serious fear of, of heights and they look, look down and like, oh, my God, like I need to. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. But, but they also say, I'm going to use this game to overcome my fear of uh, heights. So I think that's that's also. That's, that's also really interesting. interesting. I have. 
have a slight fear of heights, I would say. I was taken up to the Empire, top of the Empire State Building as a small child, and that did not sit well with me. <laughs> um, so I, I like to prefer being away from it. But I think the freedom, it's dumb, but I was like, I know I'm Iron Man, so even if I fall, I have a suit on me that yes. can help a little bit with that. Whereas yeah. like, if I'm looking over a railing as me, I'll die. Yep, That's yep. how that'll happen. Yep. Um, but yeah, playing it was really exciting. I feel like, like you were saying, I feel like you guys nailed that sense of flying from the jump, and I can't wait to see more of the game. Um, for As of right now, it's tentative 2019 release mm, sometime this year yes. for PSVR exclusive. PSVR VR exclusive. Very exciting. I can't wait to see more of it, hear more about the story you guys are aiming to tell. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak. Oh, no, yeah, we're, we're, we're thrilled, and uh, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot more to talk about, so I'm yes. um, looking forward to talking to you again, Jonathan. And, and uh, again, appreciate you coming in and playing the game. That means a lot to us as developers. We've been working on this thing for a long time. Um, yeah, this is going to be a big year for Camouflage, for Marvel Games, for PlayStation. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great time to be working on VR. Yeah, I'm excited for everyone, for you guys to keep seeing the hopefully outpouring of continued love for it as I felt for it and for fans to actually get their hands on it. Awesome. Anyway, Ryan, thank you so much oh, for joining me. And now back to you, Jonathan. Good luck with the rest of the episode. <laughs> And we're back. Excellent job, as always, Jonathan. You guys did great. Phenomenal. I thought we did all right in there. Also, I want to say sorry to Ryan because he brought Iron Man into the office for us to play, and I didn't get a chance to play it because it was like literally the same day we were bringing back Up at Noon. Yeah, it was a little crazy time. I did want to mention that. Let's just jump right to that, though, right now. Up at Noon's back. Yes, it is. Yeah, to, yeah. Uh, tell the people at home where uh, and when they can expect that. Uh, so uh, Max Scoville and I, who you know from the show, have brought back uh, Up at Noon. The uh, beloved weekly comedy variety show here at IGN. It's sort of like our our new take on kind of live action Saturday morning cartoons. I would say it's very uh, '90s Nickelodeon. Um, and it's basically just a variety show. It's it's our chance to make some cool stuff on the weekends here at IGN that um, would have fallen through the cracks otherwise, and let us do more stuff on video games and pop culture, movies, TV shows, all that kind of stuff. So if you're sitting around bored on a Saturday. Um, Check out the full episodes on IGN or the clipouts on YouTube. Uh, and so hopefully you have some more cool stuff to watch. Um, the show plays well on the IGN app on your PS4, so you can watch it there. It's about 15 minutes a week. Yeah, it, um, the first episode I loved. It, thank you. It is you and Max's brain, per se, like your collective <laughs> that's, brain that's put on film. What I want to hear. Yeah, thank it, you so it much. It works in... Um, all of our video editors have been killing it with the edits on yeah, all, yeah. all the clips and the teaser trailer that uh, Kirk, our video editor, did yep. was great. He yeah, did he, such an awesome job. Uh, it looks pretty awesome. I did want to mention before we technically leave news break, news crunch, even though we already took a break from it, uh, I just got the email with MPD for March. Oh, wow. Awesome. Uh, so let this me is actually. The, this is the benefit of having the laptops open. Exactly. We can actually look at things as they happen, whereas I'd get this email after and be like, well, I guess that happened. Uh, let me take a look. Unsurprisingly, The Division 2 was, was the number, number one, one game yep. of the month. Uh, Sekiro was number two. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and then MLB The Show was number three. Oh my God! Followed, what, a, what a diverse trio of yeah. games. Yeah, followed by uh, just round out the top ten: Devil May Cry, Smash Brothers Ultimate, Red Dead Two, NBA Two K Nineteen, GTA Five, of course, a Yoshi's Crafted World at number nine, and then Black Ops Four at ten. Wow. Yeah, I'm trying to look if there's anything else. Nothing really PlayStationy in the other top ten there, or like from eleven to twenty. So two two Rockstar games just with. With legs now, yep. we'll just concurrently kick around the MPD top ten for foreseeably a very. Long I, I would presume at least until the end of the generation yeah. when they either do port GTA five or just focus on GTA six. I don't know what they'll do there. We not not to delve into it again, but really quickly, we um obviously we've had this whole argument as an industry and fans and, and journalists and everything uh, about. Uh, sort of easy mode and hard mode for Sekiro. I think that like one of the things that nobody was really talking about is ultimately sales will dictate 
whatever gets added or removed from any of these games. Yeah. And I think that seeing a game like this in the top two um, pretty much lends credence that you can sell a very hard game. Yeah. Um, Activision, obviously, and FromSoft have completion stats on that. Sure. So they can tell you exactly when people bailed. Yeah, people may have bought it. Who knows how right. they got. Exactly. Uh, it, it is that weird thing. I like. I don't want to delve too deep in that conversation. No, not it, at all. But I do think there is obviously that audience for it there. Yep. And when we talk about difficulty in games, it can mean so many different things of pure difficulty. Difficulty can be subjective. Difficulty in terms of accessibility on a like pure playing level. There are so many different aspects to it. And I do wonder, I don't know if if Sekiro was like, we also have an easy mode. Would that mean more sales? Maybe. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe. Um, I mean, but, I think, honestly, if they were to do something like that, I would say you do it three, four months in when sales have softened. Sure. And you go, hey, price drop and also, you know, easy mode. Oh, yeah. If they are thinking about doing that in response to this conversation, I don't think they should do that right now. No. Like, based on, like, a purely, like, cynical business level, you wait a few months to do that. Right. And then... Oh, well, I, I, I don't think it's yeah. cynical... To straight up say that video games are a business because no, they are no, yeah, right. Like yeah. I mean, I, I think we get lost in that a lot, and in, in all the you know fervor and fandom. Sure. Um, yeah. And obviously the fact that they are this perfect meshing of art and commerce <laughs> <laughs> mashing together, and sometimes yeah. there's push and pull on that. Um, but the reality is, the Sekiro is selling really well as a hard as hell game. So there's something to be said for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then just to briefly mention, 2019 year to date top few games kingdom hearts 3 is now the number one selling game of 2019 holy so crap uh followed by though the division 2 which granted was only out in march so as you know ubisoft does with tom clancy games like ghost recon wildlands a few other games like division 2 will probably be one of the top selling games of the year yeah uh, at the end of 2019 right but right now top five selling games of 2019 year to date uh are kingdom hearts 3 division 2 anthem resident evil 2 and then red dead 2 oh wow red dead's yeah. only at five right so that's only counting from january to right now. right right uh, if you count the last 12 month cycle ending in march 2019 red dead is number one. Oh, black God. ops 4 is number two nba 2k19 is number three smash bros number four and Madden number five. Wow. So yeah. Did we get um, console sales data? Uh, I'm gonna look at that. It's somewhere in here. They, okay. I will vamp while you look for it. I appreciate. Um, that. I no. I do think it's interesting that um, Red Dead is selling as well as it is because sort of anecdotally, it feels like a lot of people sort of dropped off of it. Um, not in the same way they stuck around for GTA Online. Um, Red Dead Online doesn't seem to have the same numbers, but it's still doing phenomenally. So it's yes. very cool to see. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see, especially. I imagine they're going to continue because that's more of a like narratively focused yeah. online mode. So I'm curious to see how they continue that thing's life. Um, moving on to hardware, though, Switch was the best-selling hardware platform. Interesting. Uh, for March and the fir full first quarter, um, however, spending for hardware was down 15% when compared to a year ago, which would have been the first year anniversary of the Switch. Of the Switch, yeah. So. I don't know exactly what would be the correlation there other than also just we're at the tail end of a life cycle. Right, uh, like right. like the PS4 and Xbox One, we were still closer to the PS4 and uh, Pro and Xbox One X back then. Yeah. And I still think there was a like intrigue in those. That's definitely a good point. I think uh, those were stimulating the, the economy of, yeah. of console sales. I, I mean, even for me, like I bought a PS4 Pro because of God of War, which came yep. out in April of last year. So that oh, wouldn't yeah. even be factored into this. Totally. But yeah, like people were buying PS4 Pros for that and Spider-Man things well into last year. Makes so, perfect sense. Yeah, it's curious to see. Obviously, uh, that was. I'm glad we got that before we <laughs> stopped recording. I wonder what, uh, I, I mean, I, I wonder why this switch over to 
took the PS4 when the PS4 it seemed to overtake. I mean, the top three slots of hardware are all or software are all games you can play on PS4. Yeah, do I you mean, think that's because of the install base? Yes, yeah, exactly. I mean it's it's ninety two million plus players I think God right now on the damn, PlayStation that's Four. Crazy. So it it might be wavering like ninety to ninety two million somewhere in there. I don't have the exact number in front of me. I could, but my computer's about to die. But yeah, I mean that install base is just people are going there more naturally. That is so. Yeah. Damn huge! It's amazing. Yeah, which I think I, I think is like a proven testament to like we always used to talk about attach rate back in the day. That used to always be a big thing. Like yeah. attach rate, I think, is a much different variable now because people are either buying a game that they'll play. That's the whole game they play for the year, or they're buying ten small games a year. Like right, so many differences in how that number is factored. I never thought about it like that. I mean, it, 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 does Apex Legends count as attach rate? Yeah, you know, I know. It, like, like if oh, maybe only if you make a purchase to right. the, like because obviously Apex isn't going to be on the top selling chart for March. Yeah, that won't be there even though it was a huge game. Yeah, exactly. Because we we don't know how to track daily income on a game like Fortnite or, or or that versus the income something like Sekiro would make. Exactly, it's kind of crazy. But I'm glad we got that news before the show ended. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, to wrap things up too quickly before we go on super long, I did want to do one quick memory card segment. We had Let's plenty of people continuing to write in, so I'm going to play that. I love it. Uh, the first one that I want to read comes from, hopefully before my computer dies, David. David wrote in and said, hello, I'm 35, but my PlayStation memory actually comes from 2010. So when he was, I won't do the math right now because I'm tired. <laughs> in 2010, I was in a motorcycle accident. I was only going 35 and the driver turned left in front of me. My helmet saved my life. Wow. So wear your helmets. Uh, I was stuck in the hospital for two weeks with an infection and a shattered femur. Ooh. All I had to try and escape was my phone with some downloaded music, but one of my best friends brought me my PlayStation 3. One of the games with it was God of War 3. Riddled with pain and, uh, and a fever, I sat down, put on my headphones, and played. While defeating enemies in the underworld and listening to Broken Hands by Lamb of God, uh, not Broken Femur by Hand of God, <laughs> I had a moment, a moment where I wasn't in the hospital and I felt no pain. It's those little moments that help you through, and I'm thankful for PlayStation, God of War, and even Lamb of God for giving me that moment. That is, like, so beautiful. Yes. I yeah. really love that. I mean, I think I th we take for granted the fact that video games are ultimately escapist power fantasies, but when you are, like, literally laid up in a hospital bed and you can't even pretend to kick some ass yeah. in real life— whether or not you could or wouldn't, like you literally can't get up to be able to like run around the world as a god tearing people's heads off and smashing treasure chests. That kind of that kind of kicks it's ass. It's great. Yeah. Thank you, David, for sharing that story with us. Uh, another I did want to read is from Ellie, uh, I believe E L L I. Ellie says, hey, Jonathan and crew, I'd like to share my memory card. My parents first got me the OG PlayStation around 2001. I was 10 years old. One of my first games was Harvest Moon Back to Nature. And not sure why, but I did not have a memory card. <laughs> I was aware that I needed it, but my parents were busy and we could only get it the following weekend. This did not deter me from playing, but every time I had to stop playing, my first chicken always named Bach had to go to PS Heaven because I can't save him. I had to repeat the first week or so every day, but still fell in love with the game and PlayStation. I now am a married man, but I still run a virtual farm now in Stardew Valley. <laughs> Thanks for reading this and beyond. Ellie from the Philippines. Uh, That's so funny. As someone who's recently gotten to Stardew Valley and my girlfriend just got through the first like cycle of the game, she immediately started a new game. Oh, really? Yeah, she started a new game. She bought it on her iPad and is starting a new farm there. She's using like the virtual tools to like plan out your farm perfectly. Oh, like, my God. Square by square. There's You can get so invested in this yeah. game. And as someone who also is getting not as invested but is, I understand fully. That's amazing. That I, I, I feel his pain of going through that cycle of playing the beginning of a game over and over again. 
again because I had that happen back in the day where my memory card died and I had to replay a game over and over. Yeah. And the thing that's like understated here is just how many tutorials you have to get through yeah. just to get to, I believe, his first chicken in that game. <laughs> so. There's Power a, there, to you, man. there are at least seventy two chicken tutorials in that <laughs> Harvest Moon, so I understand his pain. Um, yeah, we ranked course, them all on IGN, by the way. It's the a top great 72 top seventy two <laughs> that we did. Yeah, it really busted our CMS, but we did it. Uh, if you would like to write in with a memory card for our segment, you can write in to Beyond at IGN.com with the subject line "memory card." We'll read those out on the show. Share with us your favorite, your worst, your best, your fun, your hilarious, your sad PlayStation memories, and we will be happy to read them out on the show. Um, thank you all so much for continuing to write in. We have a huge backlog, but please still keep writing in uh, because I want to keep reading these on the show. They're amazing. Um, before we end, since I know we're a little bit pressed for time, Brian, I briefly want to ask, what are you playing now? Right now, I actually hit a wall in Sekiro, jumped back into Bloodborne, and then I started playing Beat Saber, of all things. Okay. Which I I'd never really played before. Yeah. And I started playing it in the morning just sort of like move my body a little bit outside yep. of just like waking up and being a dad and then like going to work yeah um and it's really cool it's such like, a fun game yeah, yeah it really is uh I, I had my i'm at the point now where i can f i finally feel comfortable putting the vr helmet back on okay um i didn't for a while as a new father because you <laughs> sure. want your senses you want to know what you're you want to know what's to. going on yeah it doesn't um, hurt although now it's getting dangerous because my kid's getting she's calling in everything but um <laughs> w when she goes down for bed at the end of the night like I, i'll play some psvr so it's yeah. been really cool to sort of have my renaissance with that with that system again yeah it's um especially with the few games that are coming out right now yeah. and then things that are continuing to come may will have blood and truth and trover saves the universe which yeah i'm super I can't excited for those. both of those uh, what are you playing uh right now i am playing i i've super gotten sucked back into assassin's creed odyssey i watched the trailer for the fate of atlantis dlc which is out this week uh and was like that is so my gym i need to finish that game oh, and I had, awesome. i'd already played like 40 50 hours of the game and then just life got in the way and i took a huge break because there was still so much of that game that game is huge i i sank another maybe like 15 20 hours in over the last four or five days oh my god and i still i like i looked it up i still have i think at least a third of the full campaign left was beyond it, whatever else I'm was it on. easy to return to did you feel lost yeah surprisingly so especially like with all the updates they made to like ui or quests and all these things like it, it was very easy to slip back in especially as someone who's you know played almost every assassin's creed right. but you know the first battle or two i definitely got my ass kicked quicker than i would have liked normally like i was like how do you block again because <laughs> blocking in that game is different from every other game i've been right, playing recently right. so it's like oh it's l1 it's different than okay i'll maybe die a few times here I, but i kind of want to jump back in now because I, I i forget why i stopped or where i stopped i think there was it was just like a busy season yeah um but i've been seeing people talk about it again and seeing the trailer for the dlc i'm like this is this is what i want yeah and for those who don't know uh, fate of atlantis you basically like it's going deep into Greek mythology, and I love Greek mythology, obviously. God of War and many other things have explored it, but right. Assassin's Creed has always been so steeped in mythology as part of its storytelling. Yep. And as much as I'd like the main thrust of that game's Abstergo storyline to kind of get a reboot, like I wouldn't mind if they did a full reboot, I totally am down for them to keep exploring mythology. It also, though, made me think... I would love one of the, my favorite things from early Assassin's Creed games was in two when you had the villa, yeah, that you got to upgrade and you could put money in it to put new art up and or they to add wings. Burn it down the next game. Yeah, it was awful. Like, yeah, I loved that villa. I that was really wish, fun. Like I, it's a very simple mechanic in that game compared to like maintaining Stardew Valley Farm or something like that. But I would love so much if you got like a base of campaign. Me too. In a future Assassin's Creed, like 
if the alleged new Vikings Assassin's Creed is the real one. If you had like your Viking village that you got to you got awesome. to build up. Um, I just I had got totally love that. Yeah, uh, that would be very cool. But yeah, I'm playing that. Uh, I have a code for Jupiter and Mars that I started playing. That's like the Echo the Dolphin kind of looking like VR-ish, VR optional game where you're essentially instructing these two dolphins, Jupiter and Mars, to explore the underwater depths. I haven't gotten to play it yet. The soundtrack seems really cool, but other than that, I haven't gotten too much into it. So I don't yeah, that's awesome. Pass judgment on necessarily. Uh, I do want to mention if anyone's wondering, Lucy is, as she mentioned last week, reviewing Days Gone. The embargo is not up, and that is why we are not talking about that game right now. After the embargo is up, which I don't believe we can say when the embargo is, but after that embargo is up, we will have Lucy hopefully on the day or two around the game's launch, uh, you know, following that embargo time and the release of the game. Hopefully have her on to discuss that, um, because we also have some stuff planned for next week's episode that I don't want to talk about just yet. But... Yeah, we will definitely be talking about the game in the future, mm-hmm. so don't wonder why it's launch week and we haven't just said it yet. Embargoes. Yep. They exist and we have to work around them. I but. also, I'll be doing a live stream of the game with Max Scoville and Xavier Woods. Awesome. Which is really fun from WWE. So check that out on IGN uh, very soon. And yeah, I'm excited to jump into that one too. Yeah, yeah. I there's, I from what I can tell, it seems like a pretty big game. Yeah. So I think there will be a lot to talk about there. Uh, yeah, as we wrap up the show, though, in addition to that live stream, uh, Up at Noon is live every noon. Or every every noon, no, every it, Saturday, every Saturday. It's not live anymore. It's no. just, it's on the. It's you can watch it. It's more of like a produced, you know, short TV show yeah. style show. Uh, we put that up nine a.m. Uh, Pacific time, twelve p.m. Eastern. So still, right. the noon still makes sense. The noon, it's always noon somewhere. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then where else can people find you? Is there anything else you want to? Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Agent Bizzle. And then I'll also be doing the rounds on Nintendo Voice Chat and a bunch of other stuff this week. So Awesome. Yeah, uh, busy stuff. Yeah, it, it's a quiet season mm-hmm. before you. And a small season. independent film comes out this week that we're all going to see. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. High Life. Yeah, High <laughs> Oh, I saw your tweet. Watch Highlight. That movie's <laughs> awesome. That, that yeah, that is is that going up against Endgame? I mean, kind of suicide. I guess. Yeah, yeah. We'll see how the box office plays out. Yeah, uh, and then yeah, of course you can find me at the theater watching Avengers Endgame this mm-hmm. week. No spoilers, and also on Twitter and Instagram at JM Dornbush. Uh, have some stuff going up in addition to the interview with Ryan. If you missed anything on the show this week, I also have a story up with our chatting about Iron Man. Of course, you can check out my preview from earlier this year. Uh, But yeah, other than that, we are here every week, Wednesdays, 3 p.m. Pacific, IGN's premier PlayStation show of the many PlayStation shows that we have. Of the many. (laughs) And as always, thank you so much for listening and watching, and beyond. Beyond! I can't change it now because I moved the keyboard away It's okay. From you you it's did good. We'll, we'll figure it, it was it fine. And then it was like an awkward ending, but no, everything I, else, I thought it was great. That's, otherwise. that's how my life is going to end, <laughs> awkwardly, probably. <laughs>